I started a brand new series today that we're calling Once Upon a Time. Some of my favorite memories of when our children were small, and we would make a trip, we'd get them all in the van, and we'd back out, and this was in the days before we had a video screen in the van where everybody could watch a movie. It was also in the days before everybody got in the car and put on their headphones and didn't talk to each other. I miss those days. Now I feel like that guy, what's that commercial? He says, it's okay if you don't talk to me. I'm not telling you what I got back on the insurance and those new golf clubs. You know what I'm talking about? You know, I, I kind of feel like that guy. Becky's not in here, so I can get away with that. I, uh, I would back out the driveway, and we lived on top of a big hill next to the Altmuggie River. And just while I was backing out of the driveway, the kids would say, Daddy, tell us a story. And a lot of times I would just make up a story. And like all good stories, I wanted every story to have a moral or a maxim to it that would help them remember. But what was curious was even the made-up stories. If I started the next trip and they'd say, Daddy, tell us this story, and I deviated from the way I told it the last time, they call my hand on it just like that. Their memories were so sharp. And say, no, Daddy, that's not the way it goes. And I would say, well, how does it go? It was my story, you know. And I'd say, how's it go? And I'd be throwing up my hands, and they'd start telling it right back to me the way I told it the first time. And that is the power of a story. It's unforgettable. And it's not only unforgettable, but the power of a story is it can carry a truth that you need to remember and not forget and apply in your life. Jesus had a marvelous way of doing this. We call them parables. And sometimes I think we're so comfortable with the parables, especially if you grew up in church, you go, I know the parables. Maybe you've forgotten the purpose of the parables. The parables were to remove the religiosity. I don't know if that's a word, but if it is, isn't. I just made it one today. It was to move the religiosity that we tend to do with the things that God tells us in his word. We kind of muck it up with stained glass, and we muck it up with additional requirements. And Jesus would tell a story, and it was just like taking a sword to the Gordian knot, slicing it in two, and suddenly the truth of what the story was all about just became so clear. And the story we're going to start with today, the story of compassion, is one of the most famous ones that Jesus ever told. There are countless hospitals that are named Good Samaritan Hospitals. There are laws on the book called Good Samaritan Laws, and they're put there so that people will help one another. Actually, in some states, like Georgia, there can be punishment if you go by someone who's injured, has a life-threatening injury, and you don't stop and help them. It's Good Samaritan Laws is what it was based upon. It was to help make our society a more caring place and a safer place. So I'm going to ask you this morning, if you would, stand with me, and each week for the next few weeks, we're going to take one of these stories of Jesus that he told to help us understand how to be passionate followers of Christ and to help us understand how to celebrate his love. One day, an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus. Now, that's a key word right there, test. He really wasn't paying attention to Jesus. He wanted to trip Jesus up. He stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question, teacher, 
what should I do to inherit eternal life? Well, Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? And the man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him, do this and you'll live. Well, boy, that was like, ugh, because he knew he couldn't do that perfectly and inherit heaven. He knew that he couldn't do that and go to, none of us can. Well, the man wanted to justify his actions. You know how we do with God. Sometimes we'll rationalize and we want to try to justify ourselves. So he tried to justify his actions. So he asked Jesus, well, who's my neighbor? And Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho and was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. Now see this. They, they beat him up. I've been down that road and up that road. It's a winding mountain road. You're literally going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And in those days, bandits occupied that road, and it was a dangerous way to go. So they beat him up, and there he's laying on the side of the road or in a ditch. He's naked. He's bleeding. He's been left to die. By chance, a priest came along, and when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. He doesn't want to get involved. A temple assistant walked over, or a Levite walked over and looked at him lying there. He was curious. He walked over and looked at him, but he also passed by on the other side. And then a despised Samaritan, half Jew, half Gentile. Jews were really bigoted against Samaritans, and so were Samaritans against Jews. Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Say that with me. He felt compassion for him. Say it again. He felt compassion for him. And going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. And then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. And the next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man. And if the bill runs higher than this, I'll pay it the next time I'm here. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? And the man replied, the one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, yes, now you go and do the same. Father, I love you so much. And these are not words for this church, Lord. This is how we live our lives. We want to celebrate your love by persuading people to become passionate followers of Christ. And Lord, we can only celebrate and do what we are. We're not perfect, but I thank you we are forgiven. And I thank you that we are a work in progress, and I ask you in the name of Jesus, Lord, help us not to look at this story but help us to see ourselves in this story this morning. We can't do that without your help. And then, Holy Spirit, I ask you to touch us individually and help us to see what we need to do in light of this story. And God, I thank you for the absolute mercy and compassion and pity you felt for us for you took our sins to Calvary. And Lord, you washed them all away. So help us to celebrate that today. In Jesus' name I ask.
And everybody agreed and said, amen, amen, and amen. God bless you. You can be seated this morning. Please mark your calendar two weeks from now. I'm looking so forward to our annual meeting. It's hard to believe it's been a year since our last one. And we had a, just, we had a wonderful year, year last year, and I want to be able to share with you what God's been doing, but also share with you some updates on R3 and where we're going. So be sure you put that on your calendar and make time to be a part of that. All throughout the Bible, it's as though God says to us, and I shouldn't say though, God does say to us in so many different ways that love is the essence of what it means to be a human being. If you want to summarize what it means to be a real man or a real woman, then love is that word that summarizes that. Over and over throughout the scripture, we're not only told to love God, but account them a total of 10 times. And yesterday, I went through various versions of the Bible, various translations of the Bible, and some would be a little different, but 10 times we're told to love our neighbor. Say that with me. Love your neighbor. Say it again. Love your neighbor. 10 times. And so, Mr. Sister, if God says something that many times, it's really something we need to pay attention to. And if there's anything that I pray for you beside knowing Jesus, one of the things that I pray for you constantly is I want you to be known as the most loving person in your job, the most loving person on the line, the most loving person in your class. I I want you to be known as the most loving person in your subdivision or on your block or your neighborhood. I, I want you to be known as that person that everybody knows that person, the essence of their life is love. And you might say to me, well, pastor, you've never been on an auto line or you wouldn't be praying that way. You know, I'm not talking, I have been on the auto lines, by the way, and I'm grateful for those of you that have taken me, but I'm not talking about a mushy kind of love. I'm not talking about a sloppy kind of love. I'm talking about love that serves, the kind of love that Jesus had. Jesus was a manly man and his life is defined by love. He's not like some of the Renaissance pictures of him being pasty white and almost feminine looking. He was a carpenter. He had hard, tough hands. The other day, somebody shook my hand and said, are you really a pastor? And I go, yes. And he said, you've got calluses on your hands. And, uh, and it made me feel good that uh, they said to me, it says, shaking your hand was, was like shaking the hand of another working man. And that made me feel so good and honored that this, this man who grabbed my hand, who was a mechanic and shook it, felt something there. When Jesus shook your hand, you knew that it had been shook. You didn't try to break it, you know, like some people, you ever shook hands with somebody like that and you just look them in the eyes and if two guys, they will, I see it here at church sometimes, you'll look at each other, yeah, brother, I'm doing good, you know, and, you know, it's not that kind of macho deal, it's just that you knew that Jesus was a man who knew what hard work was all about, but he knew how to love in a very, very masculine way. And this guy who tried to trip Jesus up, he had two questions for Jesus. One was, what should I do to inherit eternal life? And that is a fundamental misunderstanding of the Bible. Because the word inherit there, you didn't inherit anything unless your father died. And how many of you know our father in heaven is never going to die? He is life and life eternal. Second thing is to inherit meant you inherited something because of either birth order or because you worked for it. Inheritance in those days of the Bible was directly tied up with your works. There is no way that our salvation is based upon works. Our salvation is based upon grace. By faith are you saved 
saved through grace. We didn't earn it. We would never be good enough to earn it. God simply loved us and sent his son that all who believed upon him would not perish but have everlasting life. Can we give him a hand of praise for that this morning? So this guy walks up to Jesus. He's trying to trip him up. The Bible says in Luke 10, 25, that he stood up to test Jesus. Circle that if it's in your outline. Test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Well, that happened to Jesus a lot. When you read the Gospels, you'll notice that the Pharisees, the Sadducees, they were always sending people to try and trip Jesus up. There's one verse in the Bible. Put it up, please. Watching for their opportunity, the leaders sent spies pretending to be honest men. They would actually send people to spy on Jesus to try and catch him and trip him up. But how many of you know you're never going to trip up God? You're never going to cause Jesus to trip up. You can depend upon him. He's faithful. He's eternal. He will always do what he says he will do. And he's big enough and God enough to do it for all of us. Let's praise him one more time this morning. Hallelujah. He's that big. He's that good. And so he asks the question, secondly, he goes, who's my neighbor? This expert in the law, this theological person with all of his degrees, he asked this important question, who is my neighbor? And what he's doing, because Jesus puts him on the spot. He, remember, I, I just pointed it out to you. He wants to justify his actions, so he says, who's my neighbor? I mean, let's get technical here, because that's what people do with legalities. That's what people do with technicalities. They, they try to find a loophole. Sometimes Becky will give me a to-do list to do on my day off, my day off, my day off. She will give me a to-do list on my day off, and it will be like this, you know, and I'll look at it, and the first thing I start doing is looking for a loophole. And she's caught me on that so many times, and she, her lips will not part very wise, he'll say, would you just do the list rather than argue? And how many of you know that puts the fear of God into my life? So I, I do the list. And this guy, he's looking for that loophole. Who is my neighbor? Is it my Facebook friend? Is it the guy that lives next to me? Is it the clerk at the market? Is it the postal worker? Is it the man who picks up my trash? You know, is it my doctor? Is it the waitress? Who is my neighbor? It's why I say to you, I want you to be known as the most loving people in this community. I want our church to be known as the most loving people in this community because we recognize what Jesus says, everybody is our neighbor. Let's say it together. Everybody is our neighbor. The people that we meet in a restaurant or the people that we pass by on the highway, those are people that somehow or another were connected in their lives. There's another thing I want you to see, that when Jesus begins to tell this story, his choice of the hero in this story just doesn't seem like the right choice. Sometimes the wrong choice in our eyes is the right choice in God's eyes. Sometimes the wrong choice in our eyes is the right choice in God's eyes. God takes the weak things to confound the strong. God takes the foolish things to confound the wise. God takes those things that other people would look down upon, like this good Samaritan, this, this half-Jew, this half-Gentile that people were very bigoted about, and they looked down upon him, and Jesus makes him the hero of the story. He compares him to a priest and a Levite in his story, and you just got to realize the shock value of that. That. And 
I've tried to think, and the best way I know to illustrate this is to go back in time in the South to the era of the Jim Crow laws. And this would be like in the era of the Jim Crow laws when, when if a black man had been made the story of helping to rescue a white man, if a black man had been made the story of helping to rescue a, a white businessman that had been uh, rescued or saved. It took me back to a time when I had to rush a young man to the hospital in Macon, Georgia. He had, he had been injured and was hurt, and I didn't realize that the young man I was carrying was such a racially prejudiced young man, and got him admitted into the hospital. And As a matter of fact, we knew the, 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 the executive of the hospital there, and so it was a private hospital that I got him admitted into so we could get him immediate urgent care because he was within minutes of death. And the doctor came in the room to help him, was a kind and gracious man, but he's a black man. And suddenly the hatred and the venom that came out of this young man's life, don't let that so-and-so touch me. I don't let him touch. And, and, and the doctor responded with such kindness and such compassion and gentleness. And he walked over, he didn't touch him, and he said, son, if I don't help you, you're going to die. We only have minutes. And he screamed expletives and called him names and that hatred and that venom that was in him for a person of another color until finally I walked over to him and I put my hands on his shoulders and I said, you are going to die unless you let this doctor help you. Beloved, hear me this morning. Sin will take you further than you ever thought you would go. Sin will cause you to be willing to die than to receive help. Pride will cause you to say, I don't need help. Your pride will cause you to say, I don't need this. Your desire to be seen as strong and independent will cause you to say, I don't need this. And thankfully, that young man, he submitted and God saved his life, not only physically, but convicted him and saved him and was willing to deny the racial prejudice of his parents and came back to that doctor and apologized. It's absolutely amazing what grace will do in our lives if we'll let Jesus change us. Can we give him one more hand of praise this morning? I look at this, though, and I not only see the Good Samaritan, I see the innkeeper in the story because to me, the innkeeper is also a fascinating part of the story that Jesus told because the innkeeper would have had to have been a man of integrity. I mean, he was entrusted with the money to take care of this wounded Jew. He could have thrown him out on the streets. He would have had to have been a man of compassion. You can put that up on the screen. He would have had to have been a man of compassion because somebody had to take the time to go in and dress his wounds, change his bandages, nurse him back to health. But he would also have had to have been a man of resourcefulness because evidently the Good Samaritan was concerned that the payment that he left, that the line of credit he established wouldn't be enough. And so he said to him, if it costs you more than the line of credit I've made, here, he said, I promise you I will pay you when I come back. And this man must have had some margin in his life. This man must have left some places. He didn't push his finances all the way to the boundaries so that he couldn't respond when a crisis came along, so he couldn't respond when there was need. But he left some margin so that he could help this man. And friends, I've stayed at a lot of Holiday Inns. I've stayed at a lot of Marriott's. I've stayed at a lot of 
Motel 6 is along the way. They left the light on for me. But I promise you, I have never seen a hotel manager come and try to help me out with a problem. I've had to talk to a few hotel managers about a problem that I've had in a hotel. Everything from rats to roaches to fleas to bed bugs to what have you. I've had to talk to a few, but not one of those managers have ever come to my room. But this innkeeper is a fascinating part of the story. He took care of this Jewish person. You not only have a good Samaritan, but you've got a businessman stepping up and say, I will be there. It's why we look at this story with such fondness and such memory, because we all want to be good Samaritans. We all want to be like those innkeepers. We don't want to be like the priest or like the Levite. Can you say amen? And so this story has gripped the imagination of the whole world. And then there's one other thing I want you to see. This wounded man was able to leave debt-free. He was able to leave debt-free. Anytime that I, I can, I get the pre-checkouts and I leave my credit card on file and I'll wake up and there's a receipt slid under my door and I grab my receipt because I'm an early morning riser and I'm out the door and I'm back on the highway. But there's always this little caveat on the bottom. This is your bill as of such and such time. But if there is any other charges, we will add them on to your American Express card later. You see, this guy, when he left, he didn't know one thing. He left healed, he left whole, he left restored. And I want you to know that's the story of your life and the story of my life. We owed a debt we couldn't pay. Christ Jesus paid a debt he didn't know. We bought to the cross all of our sins, all of our failures, all of our frustrations, all of our sicknesses and illnesses. And there God himself, God himself took our sins upon himself and he shed his blood for us. And he says, it's a free gift I've given you. You can try to earn heaven, but you will still fail but if you have faith in me, I will give you life and I will give it to you eternally and it won't cost you one red cent, but it costs God everything. Can you say amen this morning? You see, that's the power of a story. We just don't forget it. So Jesus says, now which of these would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? And the man replied, the one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, and would you read it with me? Yes, now go and do the same. Read it again. Yes, now go and do the same. If you know your neighbor, look at your neighbor and tell them, yes, now go and do the same. Just look at them. Now, now that you've done a little preaching of your own, and you did pretty good there, could have put a little more <clears throat> into it, but you did pretty good there. How do you do that? How do you go and how do you do the same? So I've got two questions for you and me this morning. First of all, how do I respond to my neighbors? And what would my neighbors say about me if you were to ask them off the record and say, you know, he will never know. How do I respond to my neighbors? The priest, when he saw this man, he kept his distance. And I think these stories... The older I've gotten and the more I've studied the word, I think these stories have more to do with attitudes than they have to do with the people that he uses. I think the priest has to represent to do with, with clergy, but I think it also has to do with all of us. And that is, do I keep my distance? 
When I see something happening, do I just try to stay away? Do I not want to get involved? Do I not want to become involved? Because it can be messy to get involved into other people's problems. It's, it can be messy to listen to their problems. Here in Down River, it's especially easy to do. Where I'm from, neighbors see each other all year long because the weather's pretty nice. It was 20 degrees in my backyard this morning. 20 degrees, that is not God's will. <laughs> I'm just telling you this, all of us have sinned in some way. But back home, you know, flowers are blooming, fruit, fruit is setting on the trees, and this is that time of the year where they love to call me and just remind me again of how pretty it is in the springtime down in Georgia. The dogwoods, cherry trees, the, all of the peach trees, everything begins blooming at the same time. The flowers are up, and it's just a beautiful time to be in Georgia at this time. And so, but in Down River, we... We go through this nine months of frozen, where we just sing, let it go, let it go, let it go. And we have these wonderful things in our cars, these clickers. We pull up in our driveway and we push a button and we pull our cars in their little houses and we push the button again and the door comes down and we go into our family. It's in, the only time we possibly see each other is when we're running our trash out to the street on Wednesday morning or late Tuesday night and it's freezing cold. You go, hey, and you run it down there and you run it right back in. <laughs> Am I telling the truth? It's just the way life is in Downriver. It's real easy not to get involved. And then spring comes and suddenly we see one another again. And the priest, it was real easy for him not to get involved. And when I worked in mental health, part of my orientation and my instruction as a counselor was, you've got to be careful, Dennis, because when people tell you their problems and tell you their pain, now listen, 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 because I don't ever want you to go away and say, you told me you wanted me to be the most loving person, but you didn't warn me about this. I'm warning you. You see, when people begin to tell you their hurts and their pains, it can cause your hurts and pains to surface. Maybe sometimes they tell you something that you've suffered something similar to, not this exact same thing, but it will cause your own hurt and pain to suffer. And that's the reason a lot of people don't want to get involved because getting involved in other people's lives can be very, very painful. But then they also warned us, Dennis, you've got to be careful because you don't want to take and transpose your pain upon this other person's pain because that can lead to an unhealthy relationship where you're feeding off of one another's pain rather than listening and being someone there to help them unscramble their thoughts and help them get their lives back in order. And it's true, isn't it? When you get involved in other people's lives, it can be messy, it can be painful, it can be costly. That's the story of compassion and the priest was just simply too busy with the work of God and besides, he would have been unclean which would disqualify him to be able to do the work of God. Aren't you glad that Jesus was willing to touch the leper? Aren't you glad that Jesus was willing to touch the unclean? Because what Jesus touches, Jesus changes and Jesus makes clean when when Jesus touched me, he changed me, he cleaned me up, he gave me my, my health. Our God is simply amazing this morning. He's willing to get involved. But then there's a second attitude that we can have, and that's the one that the Levite had, the, the temple assistant. And he's the guy that wants to keep up with all the gossip. You know, he, he's walking down the street and he goes, whew, wonder what's going on over there. And so he walks over and he looks, ain't no way I'm getting involved in this. 
Matter of fact, somebody might think, I did this if I kneel down here to try to help him. Somebody might come along and go, stick him up. You know, why did you be this man? I'm not getting it. And so he goes back, and then he tells everybody at the local tavern. He tells everybody at the local temple club. He goes, man, did you see what happened back up the road going down to Jericho? That guy was so beaten. He was naked. He was bloody. He was a mess. You see, we love to gossip, and we love to know what's going on, and I, I see it happen. I do it on the interstate. You know, you see an accident on the interstate, and you drive a, oh, that's terrible. That's horrible. It's not loving our neighbors. We do ourselves. I was in Montgomery, Alabama with a friend of mine, and we were coming back one night, and saw a Buick run off the road at a high rate of speed, clipped the top of a pine tree, and slung the young man out of the car. He hit the ground just split wide open from the force of the impact. We got out of there, and to our shock and to our horror, not only his life was gone, but this young man was, was, didn't have any clothes on, and the money was spread everywhere, and soon people were stopping, and they were grabbing the money and laughing and gawking at the guy, and probably one of the few times in my life where I've ever lost it, and I was screaming at people, get away, get away, and Bobby and I were covering up with our coats until the state patrol could get there and a trucker stopped and God bless him, he got out and went and got blankets and covered him up and he was one of those big burly guys. When he spoke, everybody listened and we stood there. But the memories and the horror and the smell of that has lived with me ever since. There are a lot of people, they want to be able to tell you what happened, but there are very few people who are willing to get their hands dirty and get involved. There are a lot of people that love to read the Trenton Trib or the Brownstown newspaper or the Woodhaven newspaper or the, or the, or the News Herald. They want to know what's going on. And isn't it just terrible what's happening down here? Isn't it just terrible what's happening over there? Isn't it just terrible what's happening at the school? You see, that was the sin of the Levite. He knew what was going on, but he didn't have time to be involved. But the good Samaritan, he treats people the way he wants to be treated people. And I'd just like you to ask yourself this morning, how do you want to be treated? You see, being compassionate is not that difficult. Being compassionate is just asking yourself, how do I want to be treated? I was recently at a restaurant with a family from our church and took us out to lunch. Guess what we had? Fried chicken. You're such godly people. <laughs> We had fried chicken, and boy, anybody buys me fried chicken, you're my friend. You've got a place next to the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, and I was just enjoying my meal, and, and uh, we sat, and we talked for a long time. Not me, I ate. They talked for a long time, and, and so when we got done, we had sat there so long, and he had long since paid the bill, and we got up, and he called the young man over. Matter of fact, he had to go get somebody to find the young man that was our server that day, and he pulled out of his, actually pulled out of his wife's purse, I think, some more money to tip him with and to say thank you for taking such, and he just high-fived him and just complimented him. Well, this week I took two of the boys out to, to have lunch, and I went back to the same restaurant, and that guy saw me, and he remembered how the man in our church treated him and walked right over, and it wasn't our server, but just wanted to spend time. You see, when you treat people the way you want to be treated, they remember you. You're showing them compassion. And why that we don't do it, I think most of the time, is we're just afraid. And here is a word from the Lord for you this morning on how to love your neighbors. Stop being afraid. Perfect love casts out all fear. Can you say amen? 
That wasn't a strong enough amen. Perfect love cast out all fear. That's still, you're not getting it. Jesus is perfect love. Perfect love cast out all fear. Now you sound like Woodland Church. You sound like the church I spoke in the other day when you... You see, you treat people with respect. You treat people with kindness. You treat people with appreciation. You treat people in a way that lets them know you value them. Second thing I'd say is also, don't delay. Just get involved. If you hear about somebody that's sick, don't say, how can I help you? Just simply say, hey, I'm gonna bring by a bowl of soup. I, I, I just want you to know, we'll cut your grass. We'll shovel your driveway. Sit down and write a card. You see, procrastination, procrastination will rob you and others. Less than a month ago, I was in here praying right there, and I felt check, write Cecil Wiggins a letter, letter, just thank him for everything he invested in you. I didn't do it because I was busy. But I wrote it down in my OmniFocus, write Cecil Wiggins a letter. The reminder would pop up, I was busy. I hit it again. You see, none of us does this perfectly. And you can imagine the first thing that crossed my mind when Gary called me and told me that his dad had passed away was write Cecil Wiggins a letter and tell him how much he meant to you. You see, when I'm busy, it stops me from being compassionate. You're sitting next to people in this congregation. Some of you, you're listening to me now and you've got physical problems or you're spiritually broken or you're emotionally broken or you're relationally broken. You maybe have physical issues or illnesses that have broken your health this morning. Maybe you have financial issues. And this morning, the word of the Lord to our church is found in Matthew 7 and verse 12. Read it out loud with me this morning. Do to others whatever you would like them to do to you. One more time. Do to others whatever you would like to them to do to you. If I ignore your needs and if I ignore your hurt, then I ignore my own needs and my own hurt and pain. It's why it's so important when we become aware of something, we do something right then. And how did the Samaritan know to do it? Number one, he saw the man. He's, you've got to see people's needs. He, he saw him. The Levite saw him. The priest saw him but they pass by. The good Samaritan, the guy that shouldn't be the hero of this story according to the Jews, but he sees him and he walks over to him and he gets involved in his life. Help me remember, what was the commercial, see the USA or something from a Chevrolet? Don't sing it, just say. <laughs> How do you go, Dean? <laughs> see the USA from a Chevrolet. I have my favorite way to travel is to fly. I just love to get there and get it over with. You know, but you, don't, you just fly over the top of a country, you look down, and after a while, it's all boring. It's just all boring. I remember a few years ago, I was making a flight, and the pilot says, the Grand Canyon is coming up on our right, and this guy that was drunk was sitting with us and looked out there, and he says, there it is, there it is. He's just hollering, there it is. We're all looking, and a few minutes, we came across the real Grand Canyon, and the pilot says, now if you look down, you'll see the Grand Canyon, and the drunk says, well, that was nothing but a blankety-blank ditch I saw back there. (laughs) 
You just get kind of bored and you can't see things. But when you drive across America, what a wonderful land. All the sights you see. But if you really want to see America, run across America. I mean, I've run through Africa, I've run through Asia, I've run all over Europe, I've run through the slums of Bangkok, I've run through these grass huts and villages all over Africa. I, I have run, and you meet people while you're running, and they'll come out and they'll wave. Children, will, I've got a little cross hanging on my office door of a, of a child that made for me, hammered it out of stone and made it for me. He ran with me every single day all through the village, and I loved it, and I loved that little cross that he made for me. And you just, you see people, but if, if you really want to see life in detail, you got to slow down and walk, and then you see even the bugs and the grass and everything. You see, the busier I am, the less compassionate I am. And there are times in my life, I'm just being honest with you, I get so busy and God is saying, write Cecil Wiggins a letter. And I fail to show compassion. When I go to the airport on time, I'm nice to everybody. When I go to the airport late, I don't want to talk to you at all. <laughs> Matter of fact, I run to the gate. Don't leave me up here hanging. How many of you know what I'm talking about? You see, you got to slow down. And that's what the Good Samaritan did. I called my niece because the Bible says he felt his pain. You've got to feel compassion for them. Heather is a registered nurse. She's a stroke care certified registered nurse. She's a brilliant girl. She loves Jesus. And I called Heather and I said, Heather, Tell me in one word, how would you sum up what makes a good nurse? And I know we have a number of nurses in here, but I wanted to hear from my niece. And she says, Uncle Dennis, that's easy, compassion. She said, because if you're not compassionate, you can't bond with the patient. And if you can't bond with the patient, then you can't listen to the patient. Because when the patient trusts you and knows that you care, they will tell you things that you won't know any other way. She says, one of my recent stroke patients, she says, Uncle Dennis, she is in an irrecoverable condition. She said, barring a miracle from God, she won't get better. And she told me, she said, I want to go to church on Easter with my family. And she said, so we worked on a plan together that she could be released from the hospital and she could go to church with her family. We worked so that she could walk from her wheelchair to her pew in their church. And she says, Uncle Dennis, it was like medicine for her. She was able to go to church and worship the Lord one final time and walk to the pew that she always sat in with her family on Easter Sunday morning. She's like a new person. She said, but Uncle Dennis, if I'd have just treated her by the book, she'd have never had that miracle. God will do incredible things for you when you're willing to feel other people's pain. Can you say amen? And so I submit that to you. So here's what I want you to do right now. I want you, this is to help you as we get ready to, to wrap this up. I want you to write down the names of three unbelieving people that you know. It can be in your sub, it can be in your neighborhood, it can be on the job, but I'm gonna be quiet for just about 30 seconds and get a drink of water. Write down the name of three unbelieving friends that you have. Would you do that? Don't wait on your wife to write for you. Grab a pen. There's one in the pew in front of you. And write it down.
Now, beside those names, I want you to write what's a need in their life. What's a need in their life? I mean, I know they need Jesus, but where do they hurt? What are they interested in? You see, if you can't do that, you're not loving your neighbor as you love yourself. Look at me. If you can't do that, you're not loving your neighbor as you love yourself. Because Karen, you know your needs. Al, you know your needs. Tim, you know your needs. I know my needs. And the Bible says we love our neighbor the way I love ourselves. Second thing I'd like to ask you to ask yourself, and you don't have to write this down, I want you to be known as the most loving people in Downriver. But how would your coworkers, how would your neighbors rate you on compassion? How would they rate you on caring. I have a pretty good idea because you can't pastor congregation as long as I've pastored this one. And I go into businesses, restaurants, like happened this week. Young man says to me, he says, are you a pastor? I go, yes. He said, do you pastor Woodland Hills? I go, no, I pastor Woodland Church. Next to Woodhaven High School. I go, yes. Do you know? And he called out the person's name. I go, yeah. That person reminds me of Jesus. Do you know what that did for me? That person reminds me of Jesus. (laughs) I said to them, I said, that is the greatest thing you could say about anybody. I hope you'll be able to say that about me. He says, I don't know you good enough yet. (laughs) You see, how people rate us on this compassion scale is how much we're like Jesus. For those of you that are guests or you're new to Woodland, our mission statement reads, and we do this every day, I pray and I hope, I keep it in front of us because I never want us to forget it. If you know it, say it with me. Celebrate God's love by persuading people to become passionate followers of Christ. One more time. Celebrate God's love by persuading people to become passionate followers of Christ. You see, you've got to go and help people. The Samaritan went over and soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and he bandaged them. You've got to go help. He wasn't a doctor. He wasn't carrying a medical kit. When I think of olive oil and wine, I think of salad dressing and a little mayonnaise and just mix it all up. And so what he does is he goes over, let me have your arm. He gets his salad dressing and the wine has got alcohol in it and he just rubs it in and maybe the man groans. Oh, you know how it feels. He rubs the alcohol into his arm. And then he takes the oil, and the oil soothes. And he doesn't have any bandages. He's not a doctor. 
So he begins to shred his garments apart and he takes his arm and he begins to wrap his garment around him. And then he takes him over to his brand new Cadillac. It's a convertible, by the way. <laughs> and he puts him on his donkey and he carries him to the end. You see, you just use what you've got. You just use what you, you use your house, you use your resources, you're compassionate. It may cost you a little bit. You got to be willing to pay the price. There's always a price to compassion, but you got to go and you got to help. And this morning, before I pray for you, I want you to understand this. We were all, we were every one of us, the man beaten up, left naked, dying in the ditch, because that's what sin does to us. It separates us from God, and we become the walking dead. And Jesus is the one that comes along, and he pours in the oil and the wine, the Holy Ghost kind, and he heals us and forgives us of our sins, and he makes us brand new creations in Christ. Can you say amen? Bow your heads with me. Lord, we don't want to be that apathetic, uncaring human being. We don't want to be that person that knows all the gossip. We want to be that good Samaritan. So I pray this morning in your name, would you help us to stop being afraid? And if you have fear right now, would you just confess that to the Lord? Perfect love casts out all fear. Perfect love will help you to help people who've hurt like you've hurt. If you've been through our shape interviews, you know what I'm talking about. God will take your most painful experiences and use them so that you can help others. And Lord, we want to be people who, who are willing to get involved. So would you just pray right now that you will, you'll go over? God, we want to have eyes that see. Would you pray that God will just give you eyes to look? to be aware of the needs around you. And I didn't talk about this, but pray that you'll have ears to listen right now. Because oftentimes, what people need from me in their pain is not to say anything. It's just to sit with them. It's to hold their hand, to put an arm around their shoulder, to listen to them. And maybe occasionally make a comment, a short one, or pray with them. And then finally, would you pray, God, give me a compassionate heart. Help me to feel what others feel. Now, Father, I thank you 
for every Christ follower who prays this prayer this morning, there is a miracle happening in their life. We're reaching out to touch you, Jesus, so that you may transform us into people that are passionate followers of Christ, that are just like you. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, you've not committed your life to Him, or maybe you feel like you've wandered away from your commitment, this is your invitation right now to say, Lord, I need you. So would you pray this or something similar to this in your heart and mind right now? Say, Lord Jesus, thank you for being the one who has come over to me this morning who's come to wash away my sins by your blood, who's come to heal my hurt through the oil of the Holy Spirit, who's come, Lord, to heal me and to save me. I reach out to you. And as much as I know how, I commit my life to you today in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And all God's people said, amen, amen, and amen. Let's give him one more hand of praise this morning, would you? Hallelujah. I really, ushers, if you'll come on, I really want to encourage you to be with me. Wednesday night, I'm preaching on the church that didn't think they needed God. That's the Thyatira Church in our series on Revelation. And I want you to come and join me because I think, although last week's church is my favorite church, I think this church really speaks to the need and the crisis of our hour. And so I invite you to come. Also, I invite you to tell others, I have been amazed that people in our community who don't even go to our church or going to other churches have been telling me, says, I've been listening to your series on Revelation on Wednesday night. Friends, it's the, one of the most easy books to understand if you just understand a few principles about reading the book. And there's a great blessing for you if you do. So if you're our guest today, you feel free to let these offering baskets pass you by. But this is another way how we worship God. He's blessed us. We obey Him. We bring Him our first 10%, our tithe. Many of us give to missions. Many of us give to projects locally and then to something called R3 where we're uh, doing some projects at our church and building a community center to reach out to our community. So I just ask you to stand right now with me. Let's lift up our tithes and offerings to the Lord. If you give electronically, just lift up your phone or whatever it is. Father, I thank you. You have made us the head and not the tail. I thank you, Lord, that you have blessed us with a covenant and promise that says, if you will put me first, I will be sure there is no lack, that you will be sure that there's no insufficiency, and that you will be sure, Lord, to open the windows of heaven upon us. Lord, I believe this, and you have proved yourself time and time again. So now, in the name of Jesus Christ, would you accept our gifts and our tithes and offerings with enthusiasm and with gratitude? For it's in Jesus' name I pray. And everybody said, amen, amen, and amen. God bless you as you give this morning.